गुरुर्ब्रह्मा गुरुर्विष्णुर् गुरुर्देवो महेश्वरा गुरुशक्षात पाराब्रह्मा तस्मै श्री गुरवे नमः I bow to my Guru as Brahma, as Vishnu, as Shiva, as the Lord Himself. And I bow to Him in all of you, because in talking to you, it is my service to Him. I don't think of myself as a teacher. I serve my Guru through those to whom I speak, and I share, I don't teach. But what little I have learned in my few 56 years of being a disciple of this great Master, it's my joy and privilege to be able to share with you. I have been reading with, uh, to you this book of my gurus. It's Conversations with Yogananda. And uh, this episode number 136, I'm going to read to you today. There was a certain man in Encinitas who sold real estate. His wife had been seriously ill for 90 days. When the man heard of the master who lived locally and who had healing powers, he went and asked him to pray for her. The master prayed, but was told for then not to go to the woman's bedside. Shortly thereafter, to the husband's despair, the wife died. Then only was the master told in meditation to go to their home. On entering, he found some thirty people assembled, all of them grieving. The husband was by the woman's side, weeping and shaking her desperately. The master calmly motioned him away, then placed one hand over the dead woman's forehead, the other one on her back, and began to invoke the divine power. Five or ten minutes later, her body began to shake, like a motor, as the master described it later. Presently, a deep calmness stole upon her. Her heartbeat and breathing returned. She slowly opened her eyes. In them was a faraway expression, as though she had just returned from a long voyage. She was completely healed. Now this power, which we find in great gurus, is not so strange, because really the soul comes into the body. It doesn't die, as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita. The soul never dies, it's never born. And so we come into this body just as into a, a overcoat. You put it on for a while, then you leave. But this world is not the be-all and end-all of our existence. You know, it may seem strange, and it did to me in the beginning, that uh, the astral world should be like this world. But it's not a copy of this world. This world is a copy of that world. The reality is from above. God manifested the universe and each one of us, first of all, as consciousness. He created individual, an individual ego in each one of us. In the beginning, it was individuality without ego. You see, the ego is the soul identified with the body. That body identity doesn't begin until the astral world. In the causal world of ideas, there's an individual, but there isn't the thought of a separate self. And so it's like an illustration that I've used before. The sunlight shining on countless little slivers of glass. Each sliver of glass seems to shine with its own light. But when the sun goes behind a cloud, they stop shining. 
So it's really the sun that is giving those little slivers of glass their appearance. But each one seems separate. But it's not so. It's the vehicle in which that light is reflected that makes it seem to be individual. So that one infinite spirit, this is the amazing thing. You see, when we create things, we think that we're creating them from outside in. Sort of like a carpenter, he goes out and buys the wood and buys the nails and the hammer and does all the work to make something solid outside. God doesn't create like that. As the Shastras say, that the divine vision is center everywhere, circumference nowhere. In other words, God creates from the center of everything. Really, there's no time or space. It's all an illusion. But God has created this appearance of individuality, and so it is that your own individuality is really God giving you that thought, but it's all He. Every single atom has its own individuality. All the egos that there are in existence, they're all God, each one as himself. Now, the amazing thing is that that individuality is unique, just as no two thumbprints are alike, no two snowflakes are alike. It's just an amazing thing that God, in becoming everything, becomes uniquely himself in each person. This is how uh, it is said that God created all these forms so that he can enjoy himself through many. But it's a long story, and there's not much joy in the beginning. You might say, how can he enjoy himself through suffering, through starving people, through the pains of human life? Well, I don't think he enjoys himself that way, at least not in the suffering. But just think, once a soul, after God knows how long, reaches the point where it suddenly realizes, oh, I am that Brahman. I'm not this separate ego. I didn't have to suppress my ego to become that. I suddenly discovered that everything was expressed in me, that I am everything. Like the guru who was throwing flowers on the image of his, or like the saint who was throwing flowers on the image of his guru. And all of a sudden he stopped. He said, I've been throwing flowers on somebody else's image. And I see that I, untouched by this body, am the sustainer of the universe. I bow to myself. And he began throwing flowers on his own head. There was no ego in that. There was a sudden realization that the ego was just a little sliver of light, but that the reality of the ego is the sunlight shining, reflected in that light. That the reality of each one of us is the infinite. Now, when we can understand that our true nature is, as Adi Shankaracharya said, Satchitanandam, ever-existing, ever-conscious, uh, ever ever-new bliss, when we know that is ours, then God, in each of these forms, discovers his own joy. That is the purpose of it all, that through all the wandering, which to God doesn't have any time, there's no time in eternity. But when you finally, after, just think of it this way. Supposing you have a novel, and this young man is bo born into a wealthy home, and he naturally, with his contacts, gets a very good job, and he manages to, ma to marry the boss's daughter, and then um, 
later on he becomes the president, oh, you'd think, what a boring book. But supposing that same young man has been born, let's say, as we have the expression in America, on the wrong side of the railroad tracks. That means in poverty. And through a great deal of struggle, he manages to get a job in this firm. And by working hard, he comes up and he catches the, daughter, the, the boss's eye and he begins to be promoted by his own skill. And then he meets the uh, daughter and they fall in love and they marry. And finally, after a great deal of effort and opposition, he becomes the president. Wouldn't you say, oh, what a wonderful story? So it is that this life needs to have its contrasts. It would be a very dull life if we didn't have tests and trials and all the ups and downs that make for human existence. When at the end of it all, you wake up in God and you look back over all those incarnations and you think, oh, This is what it was all about. What a wonderful story. This is the goal of every soul. You have that destiny. You are a child of that infinite. And so, when God manifests each one, first of all, it's an idea, but each one is himself. You know, a wonderful thing that my guru taught because there's been all this uh, sort of talk, well, Shankaracharya said that there is uh, uh, only God, it's all a dream. Then Ramanuja came and said, well, but you, the soul always exists. And so there are all these, uh, uh, this sort of Advaita, Vashistha Advaita, Dvaita, all these different philosophies. People think that these people are arguing, not at all. An enlightened master sees the truth. He's not going to... Uh, he's not arguing with the other enlightened masters. The masters come to correct mistakes that people have made in their understanding. When people thought it's all, just nothing exists except God, well, it was necessary to point out that when you're dreaming, your dream is real as a dream. If you hit your head in a dream, your dream head hurts. It's still a dream, but it's still real as a dream. So each master comes to correct human misunderstandings which constantly intrude into the uh, picture of religion. And so you see all these different sects fighting, but over absolute nothing because they're just ignorant. They don't know. The great masters don't disagree with each other. You don't find them fighting each other. You find them saying, no, you've misunderstood this point. It's sort of like if the goal of life is to reach the equator, and so people at the north are told to go south. But people in the south are told to go north. So human nature being what it is, people tend, no matter where they are, to keep going. And so let's imagine these people coming down south of the equator instead of stopping at the equator. And they're meeting people rushing north to go to the equator because they've been told to go north. And they say, no, 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 you're supposed to go north. And then other people say, no, 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 our teacher said you have to go south. The teachers don't disagree. It's human misunderstanding that causes that, that sectarian bickering. But in all of this, that one God, as my guru pointed out so beautifully, he says that when the soul realizes God, it realizes that God became that soul and then became God again.
And so in that sense, it realizes the ego never did exist. But it did exist as a dream. It does exist as a memory. And so every soul that merges into God can come out again. If the, if the devotees call him, for example, it's that soul, it's not God pretending to be that soul. That memory is what separates it also. It's a memory in oneness. But, I've, uh, for instance, I know some of my guru's past lives. He was always basically the same person. It's not as if it was acting a totally different role. But in each life it was coming back because God told him to come back to do this particular service to mankind. But you will never lose who you are. You see, as the saints and the scriptures have always said, you don't lose anything when you find God. You find everything there. But the one doubt in religion has been, yes, but you lose your ego. You do, but you don't. You lose your identity with the ego, but that, that reality that was yourself, although it's a dream, that remains as a memory in eternity. And you can always resurrect that if devotees call to you. If you call to Krishna and Krishna appears to you in a vision, it's Krishna, it's not God taking on a false, false mask. It's that form. And so in the causal world, the ideational world, there is this understanding that, yes, we're individual, but there isn't that same identity that makes you think I'm separate from other people and I'm unique. When the astral world comes, when, you're, when the soul is clothed in an astral body, then the ego begins. And that's why you can't just merge into God by dying. You can't find liberation by committing suicide. You'll still have your ego as long as when this body goes, because you'll still have your astral body. But after that, then you get more identified with your astral body, and so you get hooked into a physical body. And that is where the real maya begins, the real sense of I am just me and anything that happens to me I suffer and so on. Ego becomes much stronger in the physical body. But this is what happens when you die. Your consciousness is not the body. This is one of the great delusions of modern times. They think consciousness is created by the brain. No, consciousness creates the brain. I've written a very, I think it's an interesting book, it's called Out of the Labyrinth in which I talk about that, that aspect of it. You could find it, it's published in India. But the point is that, like this woman in that, that story, when my guru brought her back to life, she was coming back as if from a long distance. When you die, you will gradually find yourself withdrawing from the body. The last sense to go is the sense of hearing. Uh, in fact, this is one time a couple of students of my Guruji's, the sister died, and the brother was very unhappy at her dying, and he said, remember, Yoganandaji Swamiji said that uh, your hearing is the last to die, and so he whispered into her right ear, and he said, come back, I need you, don't go. And all of a sudden, this sister came back and her eyes fluttered. She said, oh, I heard you from a long way away and I, I felt the call of your, your love. Now, 
don't think that death is a finality. Even, as my Guruji said, the appearance of decay, it's not, the, it's not a horrible thing at all. There's light, lots of little entities working to dissolve one form so it can remanifest in another. As Mahatma Gandhi said, in the midst of death, life persists. Life is the reality, not death. Death is just the dissolving so that it can re-manifest. This world is like waves on the ocean. The waves come up, the waves go down, but it's all the one ocean. We must learn to have a more expansive view. We must learn to think that behind these little fulfillments that we consider so important, they're just like ocean spray, they're nothing. Seek your fulfillment in Him and live more in the astral world, if you like. It is a real world. I remember even as a child, that world was real. This world was not. It's just uh, when you die, if you've meditated, you will find that a much more wonderful world. Not everybody goes there. To some people, it's just sort of a gray mist because they're, they don't have their intuition developed yet. But as it develops, you will find that that world is more beautiful than here. And then as you go deeper, and as you come to identify yourself more with your soul, you discover that it was God who became that. When human hopes toward the aspire, dark woods of grief are set afire. In this song, we want to sing to you the hope of the soul the hope that everyone has in his heart, that there must be something better than this world, is fulfilled. All the, all the tragedies, all the sorrows of this life, everything ends like that other song of mine. Every grief, every wrong has its ending in song. Joy to you. When you